We come to this time of year for focusing our hearts and our thoughts on the death of Christ. We just sang, uh, bring it seen near the cross, bring it scenes before me, help me walk from day to day with its shadow over me. And so we try to do that as we lead up to that event, talking about the last hours in the life of Christ and what brought him to the cross. We continue that today, thinking those thoughts. We're in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and we will refer some to Luke's gospel too, as all of these add their own flavor and special comment on the events that we're considering. It's not possible to consider all the events that happened, because there are so many of them and they're so intertwined. But we will use Tuesday night for the next couple of weeks to take some of the things that we've skipped over and look at. So we'll be focusing all our attention on the last week of Christ's life, both here and on Tuesday Bible study. Matthew 26 will be our main passage and also Mark 14. There's a symbol that we use to represent justice. You see it on the front of courthouses or and somewhere on display inside of a courthouse. It's a lady who is blindfolded and holding in her hands a pair of scales where you put something on each side to weigh and measure. And of course, the scales represent the weighing of evidence. And as the evidence for or against is stacked on the ballot, on the balance scale, uh, the weightier evidence tips the scale. Now the woman is blindfolded because she's not to use just her eyes to examine the case, but to only go by the evidence on the scales. Of course, in some perfect world, Perry Mason gives the best evidence and tips the scale every time, and the scale of justice and truth prevails. However, we do not live in a perfect world. And so it is that the justice systems all through history have made rules of evidence and have tried to discover the truth. Unfortunately, in real life, there are other things that tend to become more important than the truth. You may recall quite a few years back now, I had an automobile accident on my way home. I ran into a conservation officer car that was parked sideways in the middle of the road with no flashing lights on during a check of some hunters a long time after sunset, I was sued by everybody involved before the case was investigated. I was told by a lawyer friend, no worry, justice will prevail. The insurance company had a different idea. They hired a law firm in Buffalo, and so I waited, and I waited, and I waited. No one ever asked me what happened for two years. 
It was two years before anybody asked me what happened. <laughs> I began to realize that nobody cared what happened. The issue was who had the most money. And because I didn't, <laughs> I was really unimportant in the whole case. It was finally five years after the accident that I was asked to appear in court. I think somebody thought we ought to ask him something. <laughs> it was the strangest thing that I ever experienced. The lawyer brought me a big photograph of a mailbox and asked me if I knew whose mailbox it was. Of course, it had the name on it, so I could tell. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's one of my neighbor's mailboxes. I can tell by the name. And the lawyer said, do you know his house number? I said, no, I don't know his house number. I know his name. That was it. And they said, okay, you're all set. You can go. <laughs> Once again, nobody asked me what happened. It was clear to me that the lawyers in the courts were only concerned about the money. There was no scale where evidence was weighed. In this case, the blindfold represented being blind to justice. And so other motives seemed to be more important than facts and evidence. And money is a much more powerful motive than justice, apparently. So it is money, popular culture, or politics are often much more compelling motives than evidence and truth and justice. In our text today, we look at the most infamous trial in history, in the whole history of the world. Never was there a trial with a more unjust outcome than the trial of Jesus of Nazareth as he stood before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme Court. The greatest miscarriage of justice of all time was when the Jewish Sanhedrin pronounced Jesus guilty of death after his strange trial. Now we pick it up where we left off just last week. Judas Iscariot, on Thursday night of Passion Week, left Jesus and the other disciples in the upper room, and he went down to the temple and offered to lead a group of soldiers and temple police to Jesus under the cover of darkness to a secret place where Jesus could be arrested away from the crowds of people who were gathered in Jerusalem. No doubt, Judas first led the arresting officers back to that upper room, and finding it empty, then he led them up out of the city, up the Mount of Olives to a garden where Jesus often went to pray called Gethsemane. And there as a band of officers came carrying torches, arriving at the little garden, Jesus steps out of the shadows of under the olive tree where he had been and said, Whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Then Jesus said those two words that he'd said so often before, I am. 
and they all fell over backwards. Is that a miracle? Of course it is. Of course it's a miracle. Its objective appears to have been to let everyone know the only way you will take Jesus into custody if he is willing to go. And so they led Jesus away to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Remember what we said about Caiaphas a couple of weeks ago. He was the one who said, it is expedient for us that Jesus die in order for us to preserve our place. Now that place that Caiaphas wanted to preserve was the political power that he shared with the Romans. His political influence had also made him a very wealthy man. So once again, money and power are the driving forces behind Caiaphas' thinking. And so we begin reading at Matthew chapter number 26. I'm looking at verse number 57. When they had laid hold on Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace, went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. So this is how Caiaphas runs his courtroom. Let's get it right from the very beginning. They sought false witnesses. Or in other words, anyone who was willing to testify against Jesus was encouraged to get up and tell their story. Truth was discouraged. Lies were encouraged. As long as what you say is against Jesus and negative, you can say whatever you want. You can lie through your teeth. We don't care. We are in search of false witnesses. But a very strange thing happened. In order to press formal charges against Jesus, there are rules of evidence to be followed. Strange that they follow some rules, isn't it? And the rules are that you must have Two witnesses who agree in order to press charges. The problem with liars is that they make up a story as they go along. They tend to add more details and stretch the truth until it's hard to get two liars to tell the same story. We don't know what all these lying witnesses said Because it was useless in court. But finally, someone comes up with a more interesting accusation. 
Again, Matthew 26, verse 60. But they found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now Mark gives us a little more of a slant on exactly what these two false witnesses said. I'm over in chapter 14 of Mark and verse 57. There arose certain and bear false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and within three days I will build another made without hands. Now, we do know that Jesus said, and this is exactly what he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of his own body, or in other words, kill me, kill my body, and in three days I will raise it up again. That was three years before this trial. See, I'm not the only one that waited a long time. Three years before this trial, Jesus said those words. And so, one of the liars testified that Jesus said he would tear down the temple in Jerusalem and rebuild it in three days. Of course, that wasn't what Jesus said. The second witness said, well, he's going to tear down the temple and he's going to build one made without hands. Different from what the first witness said. So why are these two liars' stories mentioned as part of this trial? The plan of Caiaphas was to try and convict Jesus on a charge that made him seem dangerous to the Romans. Now if Jesus could be charged with planning the overthrow and destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The Romans would consider Jesus a threat to peace and safety, and maybe then charge Jesus with a capital crime, and then the Romans would crucify him. But these two witnesses disagreed on what Jesus said, After all, it was three years ago. So, for Caiaphas, he's got a problem. The clock is ticking. They arrested Jesus at about three in the morning on Friday morning. They had to gather the Sanhedrin, and they paraded witnesses in front of them, for a couple of hours. They want to convict Jesus and turn him over to Pontius Pilate before seven in the morning. They're running out of time and ideas. The Caiaphas, knowing he's out of time, takes the matter into his own hands. 
as high priest now, he is the ranking member of the Sanhedrin, and he is supposed to sit on that council as a judge. But now he will take up the role of prosecutor and judge and jury in one great move. Matthew 26, verse 62. High priest arose and said unto him, Answers thou nothing? What is this which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Caiaphas puts it this way. I demand you answer my question by the living God. Or to rephrase it so we can understand it. If God is alive, you must answer my question. Question. Actually, Caiaphas has two questions. Number one is, are you the Christ? That's the Messiah. His second question is, are you the Son of God? Two questions. Most Jews, like Caiaphas, didn't believe that the Messiah would be the Son of God. They didn't believe he would be in any way divine. They thought he'd be a human king because he was supposed to be of the offspring of David. Therefore, he's human. He's not divine. He's not the son of God. But Caiaphas asked Jesus, are you the son of God? Not because he believes that the Messiah will be divine, but because Jesus himself over and over and over and over again had claimed to be God's son. We've been studying our way through John's gospel. All through it, Jesus keeps claiming to be God's son. He told Nicodemus, God sent his son into the world. That's me. You remember he healed the man by the pool that had laid there for 38 years. And they said, why did you do it? He says, my father works and I work. We work together. He healed a man born blind. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And he told the Jews, the Father and I are one, which just about drove them crazy. You'll find Jesus repeating it over and over and over again. God is my Father, and I am God's Son. Therefore, I am God in the flesh. So Caiaphas, who has heard Jesus make the claim, doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Says, are you Messiah? And, separate question, are you God's Son? And, he adds to it, if God is alive, you must answer my question. So Jesus has to answer, and he will answer the question. Matthew 
26, verse 64. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say to you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. I want to read what Luke says that Jesus answered over in Luke 22, starting at verse 67. Art thou the Christ? Tell us. Jesus said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. If I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. So Jesus said, if I answer your question, you won't believe me. And if I ask you, you won't let me go. If Jesus said to Caiaphas, look at me, if he said to Caiaphas, look at me, am I the son of God? Caiaphas would have said, no, you're not. He would have lost his case. When Jesus says next, now what he says next sounds defiant. Sounds defiant. But I have to say, after thinking about it for a long time, defiance isn't in Jesus' nature. Right now, he's standing there as the Lamb of God. And there is no defiance in the Lamb of God. A meek and gentle Lamb. And he says what he says only because it is the absolute truth. That's why. I will sit at the right hand of power at the throne of God. Wow. <laughs> Sounds defiant. Make me defiant. But he's not defiant. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. Who knowing that he will sit on the right hand of power, absolute power, will first go to a cruel cross and suffer and die for you and for me. Well, Caiaphas got what he wanted. Jesus said, yes, I am. I'm the Son of God. Matthew 26, verse 65. And the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Guilty. Blasphemer. Let him die. He must die. Now apparently, after that sentence was given, the Sanhedrin left the room. Filed out. They had set on the case, offered the verdict, guilty of death. And they left the room. Jesus is now in the hands of the servants 
and the police who had arrested him and following their leaders now doing just what they saw they are full of contempt for Jesus and they hated him for no other reason than simply following the example of Caiaphas and those leaders and so their hatred spills out the top and they begin to abuse him verse 67 then did they spit in his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands saying prophesy unto us thou Christ who is he that smote thee Satan no matter how he appears down inside, the Bible says, is absolutely filled with violence. And now he delights to see these servants spitting in Jesus, spitting in his face, and you understand that they're punching him in the face. Jesus quietly takes the abuse as they slap him and punch him in the face. Tells us that they pulled on his beard. Pulled some of it out. But he's holding no grudge. And outside in the courtyard. Jesus hears a noise. And it says he turns around to look just outside. Outside, there's a whole separate drama developing. I'm reading now from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning at verse 59. About the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he is Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. What Jesus heard was the crowing of a rooster just outside. And as he turns to look outside, he saw Peter, who had just denied cursing and swearing that he even knew Jesus for the third time. Now can you imagine Jesus with his hands bound his face is all red and swollen and bloody from being punched. Having been pronounced guilty and worthy of death, he now turns around and looks at Peter. Not only your enemies are arrayed against you, but also your very best friend. 
And as Peter runs out into the dark night, Jesus stands there alone, friendless, abandoned by all. And I ask you, is his heart breaking? Is he overwhelmed by grief and sorrow? Has Peter just drove a dagger into his heart? No. I don't think so. Something else is going on. Something much bigger than all of this. Jesus who was treated like a prisoner at the bar, was tried and convicted by Caiaphas, the high priest. But something else is going on. The high priest's job was to go into the Holy of Holies once a year and sacrifice for the sins of the people, all the people. So the high priest's main job was to ask and seek forgiveness for every sin committed in the past year. That's what a high priest was meant to do. Caiaphas, not seeking forgiveness, but pronouncing guilt, did just the opposite of what he was supposed to do. Little does he know He is no longer high priest. All he ever was was a shadow of things to come. The real high priest is the prisoner at the bar. Jesus has usurped the position and is now the true high priest. And in two hours, he will become a willing sacrifice. And as high priest, he will offer a sacrifice for sins of all the people. Caiaphas is no longer the high priest. Jesus, no shadow, but reality stands ready to offer sacrifice. And as the one great final high priest, he seeks and asks forgiveness as his most important job. And so my friend, when he hears the rooster crow and turns around and looks at Peter, who has just denied ever knowing Jesus for the third time, no matter what Peter has done, Jesus' heart can only love. His great goal is forgiveness and he will seek it and purchase for Peter full pardon and pay for it with his own blood. No, I don't think he felt a dagger in his heart when he looked at Peter just after the rooster crowed. I think in his heart he said, full pardon, full pardon, full pardon. My friends, we sing it, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me, and there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. So the trial of Jesus of Nazareth was not as it seemed. It was Caiaphas who was on trial, and the Sanhedrin on trial, and Jesus who told them he was going to sit on the right hand of power was both their judge and jury, and they were guilty of rejecting truth. And so is everyone who rejects Jesus and will be judged 
alike. My friends, weigh the evidence until it tips the scale. Truth is always in Jesus' favor. Always. May God bless you as you trust completely in him. Next week, Jesus will be tried again before Pontius Pilate. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did for taking that job and doing it and being our high priest sacrificing on our behalf and searching there for our forgiveness what a great thing it is we are indebted to you forever for what you did bless us as we think of these things open our hearts and minds we might take them in and recognize what a thing you did for us. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn book, if you will. Hymn number 85, standing as we sing, hymn number 85, and closing, at the cross, at the cross. Page number 85.
said? Amen. Ask Levi to close in prayer. Dear Lord, we are thankful that you are full of truth. We are thankful that you have done this great, mighty deed. You went through all of these terrible accusations. You went through a trial that brought nothing but misjustice. And yet, out of that terrible thing, you brought a wonderful growth. You were the true high priest. The other was just a shadow. We thank you for that truth. We thank you that God works in such amazing and mysterious ways and that you have brought this truth to us this day and that you loved us enough to do it, loved us enough to be crucified on a cross of wood for our sins, that you put yourself in that place and that you died so that we might live. We thank you that you did not leave us, leave us in lies and the things that the world would cover up, but you have brought truth to our lives and that we can this day stand on the truth as it still stands, just as powerful as it ever was. May we turn our hearts to you. May we see real and true and important things in this world. Keep us, keep our hearts close to you May we draw near to the cross, bring its scenes ever before us, Lord. May we live from day to day in these things. May we celebrate the fact that you have brought us forgiveness. Protect us, be with us, be with all the folks that go to this place, bring them all back to this place safely. Watch over us all as we go into this world. May we be a beacon of light and tell others of the truth that we know in this place. In your name, amen. amen.